Hi there, and welcome to a really exciting episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. This has just been a long time coming. Um, I get to be here with Dorina Williamson, who is the author of three children's books, Colorful, with F-U-L-L at the end, Thoughtful, and Graceful. And these are children's books that really show readers how to embrace cultural and every kind of diversity really out there. Um, and so today on the Praying Christian Women podcast, we are going to just be talking specifically about the role of prayer in building bridges of all kinds, but specifically racial and cultural bridges. So Dorina, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be able to converse with you and share with your listeners. Well, for those who have not already heard of you and heard of these books, um, well, actually, let's let's back up because we like to do it just for fun. So I do want to ask you this just for fun question. Um, so what is what is your favorite prayer closet? So this could be wherever you like to go to feel close to God. It could be crazy. It could be very traditional, whatever. Do you have a favorite place that you call a prayer closet? You know, the very first thing I thought of is I love to pray as I'm walking. And sometimes I am walking by myself and I imagine that my neighbors or those who drive by might, uh, especially if I don't have earphones in, might wonder why my hands are gesturing and I'm animated. And <laughs> But I, it's almost as if there's a there's a, a fervor that comes because of the physical activity of walking um, that I'm just just putting it out there before the Lord and just pouring out my heart, as the psalmist says. Um, sometimes I walk with my husband and we will tag team and pray and things will come up. Um, we may have conversed over something and it will just go right into to praying as we walk. And so I love that. I just love the, the physicality of um, how animated I become because of, again, just the gesturing and the, um, the, the tandem of, of walking physically, but also, um, you know, that prayer, um, I, I feel like it just sort of rises, um, rises up in my soul and just sort of comes, I feel it in my hands and my feet. And, you know, as the kids used to say, I feel it in my hands, I feel it in my feet, you know, feel it all over me. And, and so I think I just really feel a, a, an increased fervor um, when I'm, when I'm walking and, and praying. So hopefully I'm burning some calories too, um, when I'm doing that, but <laughs> double <laughs> but bonus. That, that's exactly right. But you know, nature, that commune um, in nature is, that's just a really sweet, um, it's really, I prefer to do that almost more than even listening to music or, you know, I do enjoy listening to podcasts sometimes while I'm walking, but my favorite activity to do when I'm walking is to also be praying. I love that. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about distractions in prayer and how that's probably the number one concern of, of the listeners that we've heard from. And for my co-host, Alana and I both, it Fighting distractions in prayer is so hard, but there's something about walking that focuses your mind. I don't know if it's kind of like that. It's almost like white noise, like behind you as you're walking that sort of, um, I don't know. I think it just makes it your, your mind and your body are occupied with something that you can just kind of put on autopilot and then you, it's something in it allows you to really focus and, mm -hmm. And I love that. So I would, it would be nice to take a poll of your neighbors though. Are you the you know crazy neighbor that talks to herself all the time or, they, or is it a witness? Are they like, wow, she really loves to pray. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, I would love to know that. I, think I would love to know that myself. 
<laughs> but you know what? God knows what I'm doing. So that's just an opportunity to remind myself that what they think doesn't really matter because I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to to my Jesus. So no, it's like David. <laughs> just go there and and just you know. Just go worship with all that you have and don't worry about what other people say. That's exactly right. Well, I did not mention, so I kind of stopped short in my introduction. So being an author is just this small part of who you are and what you do. And and so um, you, in addition to being an author of these children's books, which we're definitely going to talk about, I'm so excited. I have ordered one of them myself, but I'm I plan on getting these, all three of them in hard copy for my kids and also as gifts because I love them so much. But you are also, you're a longtime bridge builder. You are first lady of Strong Tower Bible Church, um, where your husband is pastor. And it's a multicultural faith community in Nashville. And this is just exciting to me. I love, I love this. Um, And you have four teenage and adult children. So how would you say, how would you define with all of these different facets of who you are, how would you define your passion and your mission, just for those listening? I would define my passion and my mission with three words that we love to throw around, and that is God's diverse kingdom. And um, we look at the Lord's Prayer that Jesus shared with his disciples in uh, Matthew 6, and he told them, you know, when they pray, um, to pray, you know, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we talk a lot about God's diverse kingdom and how this great big world is, is God's, this is my father's world, you know, and um, that he created the diversity that we see all around us in nature um, and, and in people, all of us, um, all of this is his grand intentional design. And, um, and then we love to really have this kingdom focus and, and it's, been a beautiful journey for me as as a first lady as a pastor's wife because it reminds me that the kingdom of God is is bigger and richer and deeper than just my local church expression right here in Nashville Tennessee that God's kingdom is spread all over the world and so um, you know we love to talk about God's diverse kingdom and that's really the flow the mindset that my writing comes from that's the heartbeat of our church and the type of specific, um, you know, faith community that God crafted us to be. And, and I see that with my four children who are, are, you know, have the same mother and father, my husband and I, but are just delightfully diverse, delightfully different. And um, I could not have cookie cutter made them or produced their life if I wanted to. And, and I actually have tried at times, but uh-huh. I, um, I, I definitely hear you there. I have done the same. <laughs> So I, I think, you know, God's diverse kingdom is just, um, you know, we kind of say GDK for short, but, you know, just remembering that, that it's all, it's all his, this whole earth, it's, it's his and we are his and, and to live and to minister and to love and to write and, and all the things that God has called me to do, to do that out of that mindset. Well, so I've heard you say before, I've, I've listened to a couple of interviews that you've done, which is how I found out about you and your books. And you were saying that you did, you grew up as a preacher's kid. How did that experience shape where you are today and what you're doing as a bridge builder? Oh, I tell you, I can look back and see that God prepared me for the work that I'm doing now. And He made no mistake in the family that He put me in 
and my parents lived it and they showed it. So, you know, as parents, we, we tell our kids the things that they should do, but sometimes we are not doing those things ourselves. So, you know, when they're learning to drive and we talk about the speed limit, about obeying traffic laws, and then they watch us and, you know, precocious little kids might even say, mom, are you speeding? You know, I mean, they just kids observe it. They're taking it in. (laughs) Yes. And it is, the older I get, um, and I'm grateful my parents are still alive and well, um, the more I'm appreciative of the heritage that they worked hard to give us and the legacy that um, loving people is, is just how we, how we follow Christ. Um, and they, they showed me that by example. I dedicated my first book to them because of that, because they showed me. I saw their friendships outside of race. I saw their friendships um, interdenominationally. Um, I saw how they loved all kinds of people. I saw my dad greet the trash man with warmth and respect every week when they came to our house. And I learned from, from that example to treat every single person with dignity, no matter what they do. Um, and so just on and on, I, I had that example before me. And also my dad being a pastor, we hosted a lot of people. And so we welcomed people and missionaries from all around the world. So I had a lot of wonderful shaping experiences where I heard other languages and I sat in conversations and observed culture. And I think all of those things just um, were God's ways of like I said, preparing me for this journey of, 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 you know, coming alongside my husband and leading a, a, a faith community that would embrace all kinds of people as well. So did your husband also come to the table with this same outlook and background? Was this a passion of his too? Or did that, uh, we're going to get in, I guess, to how you got to Nashville, which is kind of our next question, and that it had nothing to do with establishing a church. But did he come into your did did you have that same passion or or was that mostly you and he kind of came on board after you know his upbringing was definitely different than mine um he grew up in a wonderful family in baltimore maryland um but it wasn't I'm from maryland as, too are you okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his mom is still there I mean, his dad is in heaven now but his some siblings and mom are still in, in the baltimore area and uh he he did not grow up in um the multiracial kind of environment that I did. Um, So he got more of that um, in college. And then when we moved to Tennessee, um, you know, that became more of a reality for him. But, you know, being called to preach and being called to um, share the gospel in, you know, using the gifts that God had given to him, um, you know, we were, we were together as a young married couple, as we just saw God, um, bringing people together across race and class and gender and culture and denomination. And, and so, um, although he didn't have the same upbringing, he can also see, um, you know, the ways that God did use some of those shaping experiences in his family's life to prepare him for, um, what it would mean to be, a a pastor and to, to, to be a bold communicator of the truth. So, and so that brings us to the fact that he did not start out as a pastor. He started out as something totally different. Can you tell us about that? How, what brought you to Nashville? 
Sure. Well, we met in college and my husband was a part of a Christian rap group and uh, the group was called Transformation Crusade. And uh, he was the lead writer and rapper and he basically wrote sermons and rhyme. And, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, Christian rap was kind of becoming a thing. You know, people were trying to decide what, what are we going to do with it, just like some other genres of Christian music that, quote unquote, seemed worldly. Um, but, you know, the content was undeniable, undeniably the gospel. Um, mm-hmm. And the art form and the art expression was one that um, especially kids um, could relate to. The music would draw them and then they would hear a message that which transformed them. And so their group uh, got a record contract. And so after college and seminary, we felt led by God through prayer and through wisdom and just seeing how God was directing our steps to move to Nashville for the purpose of furthering their group and their career. Um, Now that that college and seminary was behind them, the members of the group could devote themselves full time. And we moved here and uh, within a few weeks, they lost our record contract. And so we, we kind of felt like God had, had tricked us. Although I wouldn't have said those words, I was much too, um, too religious and pious to say that. But in my heart, I felt like, God, you, did you trick us? Like you brought us here. We knew you called us to move here, but then everything fell apart. And, um, unbeknownst to us, God was doing a great work in Franklin, Tennessee, which is just South of Nashville and a Presbyterian church that was uh, compromised, um, uh, comprised mostly of, um, white people um, and a, a wealthier church, they had begun doing some urban ministry to their black neighbors who were predominantly um, lower income underserved. And um, they began praying that God would bring some black leadership into their, their church's ministry um, that was reaching out. And uh, so we divinely were connected to them. And my husband began serving with them and discipling young men and um, being a, a great communicator, his gifts made room for him and he connected with the kids. And so then he was discipling all the kids. And then we began connecting with families. And in the meantime, we have joined this church and my husband is preaching occasionally. And so we are just seeing all of these different um, classes of people converging in our world. Um, and he began to feel a burden to um, plant a, a faith community that would that would converge all those worlds, you know, where white and black and, and all races and people who were wealthier, people who were poorer, um, people from all denominations um, could all come together in the house of God and um, really see God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so he never planned to be a pastor. And absolutely never planned to plant a church, but um, God's ways are so much higher than ours. And when he began to put this on, on both of our hearts, that this was what he brought us here for, um, that we, we said, we said yes. And so we planted Strong Tower Bible Church in 1995. And Chris has just been an amazing, bold, strong leader um, of this church. We, we now have relocated to Nashville. So we're, we're a little further north from where we first started. But um, just beautiful seeing, um, you know, all kinds of people come through the doors and know that um, God, is, God loves them and that he, um, 
he wants to save them and he will keep us all and um, that he's granted us to love one another. And so we, we, we go there. We have great real dialogue and conversations, um, sometimes uncomfortable, but um, we're part of one body. And so when one um, is burdened, we, we feel the burden. And when one rejoices, we rejoice with them. And so it's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful body. It's not been an easy journey, but it's been a beautiful work just seeing um, the good things that God is doing and just, you know, still so happy and grateful that God lets us be a part of the work that he's doing. Well, that answers my next question, which was whether you set out intentionally to create this community that was multicultural. And I mean, it goes beyond race or culture. You were talking about all demographics. I mean, race, culture, um, economic level and, you know, uh, religious theology. I mean, just all different levels of bridge building. How do you do that? How did you... What does that even look like? Because what I see in my own life, despite my desire to, br- to build bridges and, and to be around all different kinds of people, I think as people, we, just, we tend to gravitate toward like. We, we tend to tr- gravitate toward people that, that look like us or think like us. But for me, I mean, it's been when I've been forced into situations to interact with people that think differently than me, that look differently from me, that live somewhere else or come from a different background um, or theology or politics is when I've grown. I mean, I have grown the most. So Mm -hmm. how do you do that? How do you, how do you become intentional about doing that? And how did you do that with your church? Well, I'll answer first for our church. Um, As we saw these worlds converging and these different demographics connected, um, it was, it was our world. It was the people that we were doing life with, that we were ministering to, the people who were ministering to us. Um, and so, you know, beginning to have interest meetings and share that this, this church plant was going to happen, um, people had already been saying things like, if you ever start a church, let me know, you know, and you'd go, well, I don't think we're ever going to do that. And then after a while wow. you go, <laughs> okay, uh, well, God is, are you what's going on? So, you know, having interest meetings to, to share that, um, allowed, um, people who, who felt, you know, a a resonance that, that I, I want to be a part of this. Um, you know, in our early years, our church was probably 70% white and the other 30% was mostly black and a sprinkle of other, as I like to say. Um, and I think that that was, primarily because, or one factor I would say, is being in um, a Southern town and in the Bible Belt, um, I think for white people, we were a really cool bandwagon um, at first. I think it was, wow, I've got a black pastor and, you know, I'm a part of this multiracial church. This was kind of before, you know, it's, we're, we're 23 years in almost now. So it's, it's becoming a thing, you know, churches are, 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 are presenting themselves forth as multicultural or desiring to be. Um, but it, it was, it was a, a cool thing um, to be connected to um, when it felt good. And, you know, we love bandwagons. We all do. We love to hop on the newest thing and um, the most exciting whatever. And um, I think also coming on the heels of movies like Promise Keepers that um, had had a component of desiring diversity and racial unity, um, I think 
a lot of white people felt like, oh, here's a great opportunity. You know, I can go to church with people and this is great. And, you know, this is the kingdom of God and everything is good. And, you know, proximity is wonderful, but that doesn't mean that we're all good. That just means we're together and that's, that's wonderful. And that's a start, but that's not impacting systems. That's not doing justice. That's right. just being together. Right. The first step and of many. It is the first step. And, um, and I think a lot of the black community in our area was, I think they were more cautious because we had been associated with a white church. And so it was kind of like, okay, we need to, to check you out and find out what you're, you know, you're not from here. So what are you really about? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was more to lose. Um, you know, the black church in America has, it, the, the roots are, are it, it was created because of oppression. It was created because, you know, um, especially during slavery, um, you know, black people were excluded from worshiping with white people or relegated to balconies um, and that kind of thing. So a lot of um, historically black denominations, you know, were formed in, in American history because of, of just, we want to worship God and we're either being excluded or we don't get to worship him with our unique cultural expressions. And, um, and so I think, you know, historically that there are still those ramifications today. Um, and so what we've seen over the years is, you know, for some white people, it was a cool bandwagon until, you know, something in culture happened that made it uncomfortable. And then it was kind of, okay, now I'm off the bandwagon, you know, it was nice. And now I'm going to move on to the next thing. Um, and today, 23 years later, our church is, I would say more African-American with, you know, maybe a 35%, you know, white and other in there. Um, and so it's just been interesting over the years, um, especially moving to Nashville, which is more diverse in every way than, than Franklin is. Um, so I think there's just more diversity present in the schools and in the neighborhoods in, in Nashville. But, you know, to, to have, um, you know, community that's multicultural, um, it cannot just happen by us wishing it could happen. It's kind of like working out, you know, mm-hmm. if we could look at a video and see someone work, uh, see a woman working hard and doing, you know, squats and push ups and um, chin ups and, and planks and boy, she is working out. And if just looking at that and wanting it could get our bodies in shape, then we would just all be just amazing. <laughs> but right. that's it. We have to, we have to pull forth effort and we have to pull forth one step at a time and they have to be continued steps. And I think for many people, they need the first step is to own that this isn't easy, but that it takes deliberate and, and, and diligent um, action. And, um, and we, we want things to come easy and um, we just have to check ourselves and have to um, acknowledge upfront. It's not going to come easy. None of our children would ever learn to read if it were easy. If we let them just quit because I don't understand or math is hard. I just don't understand it. Then they wouldn't graduate from high school because it gets hard, right? But we teach them to lean in. We get tutors. We pray with them. We, we come alongside and guide them. And sometimes we just say, you know what? You've got to keep trying. And so I think as we are children of God, um, no matter what age we are, if we know Jesus um, and we are, we, are, we are called children of God, then, then we have to acknowledge that this following in this particular arena is not for the faint of heart. It is worth it. It is our call. Um, it is the heart of God, um, but it's not easy. And I think a lot of us are just not 
stepping into it because um, we want it to be light and we want it to feel good. And it's just, that's not what it was intended to be. Yeah, I think that's so important. Just, um, and, and really a facet that I had not thought about because, you know, you do think, well, just become a part of a community like this and then you can, you know, carry the card. Hey, I'm a, I'm a uh, bridge builder because I associate with people that are different from me, but you have to go into it, like you said, with your eyes open and, and with the idea that it is going to be hard. And so do you provide, like, are you intentional about creating a space for discussions among different cultures within your church body and community when these issues do come up socially or within conversations? Do you, or, or does, do those conversations just happen or do you create a space for them to happen? We have learned to create a space for them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and actually, we, it, when we have our membership exploration class, we, we dive in right there. And what Chris and I have found is, um, and I would say especially for our white people, because um, people who are racial minorities um, have to live in a world where they are not the, the standard of normality. And mm-hmm. so they are, are generally... Um, not absolutely, but generally more accustomed to to having those conversations, and they're not new conversations. They may not be fluid and 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 converse easily, or be great thought leaders, or any of that kind of jazz. But um, they're definitely conversations that, out of necessity, they've had to have, or at least consider. Um, and so, in in our membership class, like we just right up front say, "Hey, this is going to be a new experience." If you've come for a few weeks, you may have heard something mentioned, you know, Chris isn't preaching on race every Sunday, but you know, if he, if he preaches about, um, Philemon and, you know, talking about Anessa Forrest and, you know, Paul, you know, asking, um, you know, Philemon to receive, you know, this man who used to be your slave, receive him as your brother. You know, there are a lot of economic, um, realities to unpack in that book of the Bible, you know, so when you have this GDK, God's Arithina mindset, you know, you read the Bible and you see everything through that lens. And so we talk about that with people before they even make a commitment that they want this to be their church home. And we make sure that they know that we do um, provide opportunity. Um, It is talked about. Um, We've had members who've moved from more diverse pockets of the country and have said, you know, I've been in churches before that were racially diverse or communities that were racially diverse that had people from all nations and languages and customs. But, um, you know, we didn't talk about we didn't talk about anything. People were just content to be together. And so we, we talk about it, you know, from the first membership classes. And then, um, we also have, um, every, um, every quarter we have, a uh, or every semester in our Sunday school curriculum, we have a GDK class that focuses on race, class, and gender. And I co-teach that with a few other folks at church and we unpack, um, you know, systemic injustice. We talk about gender bias. That's still a reality, um, how women are, are, are paid less. And we talk about, um, you know, racial, um, injustice and colorblindness and how that impacts our children and school systems and all kinds of just awesome topics. Um, and we give room for people to discuss and to, um, be civil. Um, that's a big, um, a big, uh, you know, thing in our church is, is, is to be, be 
coated with grace as we have these conversations. Um, I think that's missing sometimes from the conversations is, is to be able to be gracious with one another in spite of our differences and not to shame um, and not to demean people because they view this differently than you do. So we provide a space for that. And then we've also over the years learned that we also need to provide a space for lament. Um, and so um, after um, I believe it was the shooting at Emmanuel Church in, in Charleston. We opened up our church for um, just a, an hour and a half at, at a lunchtime where people could come and just lament and cry. Mm-hmm. And um, some just came and just sat and just prayed. And um, some wept um, and some just were able to vent their anger um, mothers of black sons were able to vent that this culture is painful. Mm-hmm. It's a painful place raising black sons with um, some of the realities that we've seen happen. Um, whatever people's views are, you know, it hits home to us mothers of black sons. And so we've learned that it's, it's important to provide a place for that. And it's biblical, you know, to see the powerful lament all through scripture. And so, you know, being able to have church, um, be a place where we can pour out our hearts before God, um, because we see that example in Scripture, and uh, it's 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 been so enriching um, for me, and I think for for the people who've come to our body who who feel some of them for the first time that I can share my ethnic story, or I can explore. Maybe I've not ever considered some of our white people have never considered what is my story what what are my dutch roots or my german roots or whatever or you know i have an aunt that's this and we never talked about it or what have you so we we provide a place for those conversations to happen um with grace um with comfortability and um but with with an intentionality that we um prepare ourselves to be difference makers um in society that needs to see um the love of christ in action yeah. And just talking to you, I mean, this brings up so many more questions. We're going to have to have you back, Dorina, because <laughs> we're running. I mean, I just can't believe how quickly the time is going. And I have so many more questions for you. I mean, just even talking to you, I want to get to your book. So we're going to do that right next. But, um, but just even, even hearing you talk. So just from me being a white woman, I hear you saying white and black. And to be honest with you, there are times when I don't know if I can say black. I don't know if I can say white or if I should say Caucasian or person of color. And I want to know that. I want to know what people want me to say. And I want to know what's okay. And I feel like we all need someone to talk to that's a friend that can be full of grace toward us to be able to ask the silly questions that we're just not sure about. Otherwise we stammer all over ourselves and, you mm-hmm. know, and to give us permission to ask the questions that we feel are kind of dumb. <laughs> Absolutely. And we all, we all need that. And I've, I've needed people to help me along and to raise my awareness of things that I was completely ignorant too. You know, none of us know it all. And we are, we are disciples. You know, Jesus talked about that so often about us being followers. And so disciple means that we are students, we are learners. And again, those who are parents or who teach children in in Sunday school at church or have nieces and nephews or neighborhood kids, you know, all of us adults by and large are influencing children in some way. And 
you know, we see children continue to attain knowledge and grow and learn. And yet somehow we think either we should know it all, or if there's something we don't know and it's uncomfortable, then we feel the better approach is to just back up and leave it alone. Instead of like you're saying, let me lean in. And and that happens through the power of community. Um, it happens in, in relationships. It happens as we approach those relationships as, as learners, you know, as students, as one who's saying, I don't know. Um, and, and it happens just over and over putting ourselves in those opportunities. Um, whether it's finding a small group in, um, you know, be the bridge, um, a wonderful national organization that I'm a part of that has, you know, groups all over the country. Um, I think in just about every state now, um, a lot of people form them in their own churches so they can journey together with people who, um, they are in faith community with. Um, and you know, just grabbing some friends and say, Hey, I'm ordering this book and I want to go through it. I want to go through it with some friends. Let's learn together. Let's pray together. You know, there's all sorts of ways. There's not one way to go about it, but approaching the conversations as a learner, as one who's saying, I realize there's still so much for me to learn and I'm open and I want to learn. And it takes humility to do that. And I think that's another critical component that's often missing is that humility to be willing to say, I don't know, um, but I want to learn. Mm -hmm. Well, the two last things, and we just have a couple of minutes left, but the two last things I wanted to cover were your books and which we kind of talked before you mentioned something about in your church um, membership class, you talk about colorblindness and why that's not ideal. And so that, I love that concept. And I want to talk about that. And I want to end on how, what the role of prayer, maybe we'll do that real quick is just since this is a prayer podcast, I feel like talking about all of these things is so necessary to know how to pray for racial and cultural and all different kinds of reconciliation because we have to be able to move forward in practical ways, I think, before we can pray. Because I really think personally that the first step in being able to pray, what I've learned very recently through an experience that I had, which is a whole other story, was I need to, and I used to think of, okay, I want to pray for reconciliation. So I'm going to pray for all of them out there that are not, that aren't as enlightened as me, that, that don't want this like I do. But I realized recently that I need to pray for God to open my eyes. That has to be the very first step is God, search me, know my heart. It, see mm -hmm. if there's any offensive way in me. See if I'm seeing things in a wrong way or from a wrong view. Help me to see where I need to change, where I'm part of the problem so that I can move forward in action. And so, mm -hmm. I, you know, but what do you see overall as, as kind of the role or the balance between prayer and practical actions? Can you have mm -hmm. one without the other? What, how, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I amen what you said. And I would encourage our listeners to go read Acts 10 and read about um, Peter and um, the vision that he had where he, um, you know, he, he was in a vision and, and a sheet came down from heaven and had all kinds of animals on it. God said, arise and eat. And Peter was like, no, Lord, they're unclean. And God was like, if I've called it clean, don't call it unclean. And you go through that whole experience. And it was 
an awakening moment for Peter. And I think the key for us to remember in that awakening moment, which was God ushering the Gentiles in, um, the Holy Spirit being poured out on the Gentiles, just as it was on the day of Pentecost for the Jews, a diverse, you know, diverse church in Acts 2, but, but it was a, you know, a Jewish worshiping crowd. And in Acts 10, we see Ah, the Gentiles are being brought in now. But for Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, who walked with Jesus for the three and a half-ish years that Jesus ministered on earth, who was right by Jesus' side, who we could probably say was the leader of the disciples, who saw Jesus reach across gender and do things that rabbis in his day did not do, let women cry at his feet and wipe his feet with their hair, um, go into the house of um, of, of people and welcome the sinners and all kinds of things that constantly irritated the Pharisees. They, it, Peter saw, he had an upfront, close, you know, front row seat to watch how Jesus ministered across gender, across race. He ministered to Gentiles. And yet we get to Acts 10, you know, decades after Jesus has gone to heaven, they've been given the great commission, make disciples of all nations, all of that. And somehow Peter still needs this push. He needs what we call his awakening, his aha moment. And so if Peter having all that experience with Jesus, with Jesus, <laughs> and he needed an, an awakening experience, then I think it's okay for us. And I think it's very appropriate for us to say, God, I need to be awakened. And I may not even know it's going to be humbling for me to realize what I've not seen um, and what I've not been aware of, um, what my, my political lens or what I was taught from my, my denominational background or the things I heard my grandparents say about people or the, the things I heard my parents say that they didn't know I was listening to, but I did. And all those things have shaped me. But now I'm an adult and I, I need, I need you to open my eyes and God will answer that prayer. Um, and he will open your eyes and he will show you his heart and he will show you how Jesus prayed in John 17 for us to be brought to complete unity. And I love that word complete unity because that infers that, that there's unity that we think is good, but it's not complete. Um, but that's what Jesus was praying before the cross. And um, he will remind us of Micah 6, 8, about doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly. Those action words that are not just a really sweet heart for people, but what God requires of us is action. You know, as we pray for those things, and as we ask God to open our hearts and our minds, and as we attach good works to that through books and through podcasts and maybe even um, intentionally diversifying our activities, the things our kids do. For some people, it's meant changing where they live. It's meant changing their schools, their churches. I mean, you know, it might mean, it will mean, I should say, that some things in your world um, will need to shift. But that's necessary. That's a part of changing. That's a part of growing, being transformed as we are growing in Christ. You know, we don't stay the same. So I would encourage our listeners to, to pray what you've said. Ask God to change my heart, break my heart, open my eyes, and know when you're praying that, that God hears our prayers and he delights to answer them. And be ready for God to to shake things up because it's time for that. We're the people of God and we are to lean forward in faith and not lean back in fear. Um, this is our grand and glorious calling. And, um, and I think that God desire, I don't think I know that this is what God desires of us. And, and so I hope that this is just a, a holy nudge for those prayers. Um, 
prayers with, with intentionality and those prayers, knowing that God's going to answer them and it's going to direct our steps. Yeah. Wow. Well, our last little bit, and I know we are like, we got two minutes before we're at the time we said we were going to stop, but tell us about your book and how, and this idea of colorful, and that's your first book was colorful. You still have thoughtful and graceful, but tell us about colorful and what that means as, as a contrast to, to colorblind. Yes. Yes. Well, I wrote colorful because I did hear a lot of rhetoric of, you know, I don't see color. I teach my children to be colorblind. And I understand that people do that with great intention, but, um, color blindness is not truth because if you have the gift of sight and it is a gift, uh, then you do see, and you teach the youngest children about um, the colors all around them. Those are the first words that children form red, blue, green, yellow. Um, so they do see color, but we only use that rhetoric when it comes to our skin color, or our race. And it's often because it's uncomfortable. And so colorful is an opportunity for children. And I also say for adults too, because I write children's books that adults need to, um, for children and adults to learn about appreciating and celebrating, um, that this is God's design. He made us, he made creation with color. He made us with color. And so to replace colorblind rhetoric with a colorful celebration of, um, our design and for your children to learn that, um, whether their skin is a color of vanilla sugar cookies, or it's the color of a chocolate Hershey's bar or somewhere in between, that all of those colors are beautiful, that that's something that they understand. And then that's something that they speak. Um, and that's transformative for our society where people um, who are darker skinned have not always been treated as fellow image bearers. And so it's a corrective that's based on God's heart in scripture. And, um, and again, it's an ode to the design that he did when he created us with our differences. So it's, it's a hopeful story that I pray will, will be a, a teachable moment um, and will be something that families can pick up over and over. Um, I've had adults buy it for themselves. Lots of people bought it for their churches. I'm thankful it's gone into public and private schools um, because they love the diversity, the different um, color of the kids in the book and the beauty of their friendship. So um, that's, that's colorful. I love it. And so tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, connect with you online and find out about all three of your children's books. Absolutely. I would love for people to visit my website, DorenaWilliamson.com. And uh, there are links there that they can look at some video clips of each book, learn a little bit more about those stories. And then um, they can also follow me. I'm on Instagram, on Facebook and Twitter. And there are links to all of the socials as well. And uh, the books are available wherever books are sold. So local Barnes and Noble, uh, Lifeway stores. Um, I've had people tell me they've seen them in Walmarts and Kroger and, um, which is delightful to hear. So, uh, and of course, Amazon as well. So wherever books are sold, I'd love for folks to grab them and reach out, let me know um, that they um, have them and if they have questions or if um, it brings joy and, and uh, teachable moments. I'd love to hear that too. Great. These are amazing books. I really, I have one of them. And like I said, I'm going to have all three of them for my kids and we're definitely going to be getting some for gifts because they are just amazing messages for, I feel like talking and teaching these things to kids is a huge way to learn more ourselves and to, to just get a kid's perspective. You know, they're not born colorblind. And so I think, you know, just embracing that and being excited about talking about our differences is just going to be 
a real blessing. Um, mm. So to wrap us up, Darina, so we don't keep you too much longer, um, how can we be praying for you? I would love for folks to pray for me as I continue to write. Um, I believe God has continued to give me some wonderful stories that will um, be informative, that will celebrate um, the design that God has given to us, um, and books that are, I feel, modern-day parables, just as Jesus taught many stories in parable form, using things that his listeners could relate to, and in those formats, he imparted spiritual truth. Um, that's the, that's the, the format that I'm called to. So I would just love prayers that God will guide my steps in um, the great big world of, of publishing and projects and direction and um, that, that the words that I write and present will be honoring to God and will really transform um, the body of Christ and will also be a great witness to um, the world, to anyone who picks them up. All right. Well, um, I'm going to close this in prayer, but Dorina, thank you so much for being here with us. It's been just a great conversation. And I really, I think we'll be seeing more of you if you'll come back because <laughs> I have so Absolutely. much more to talk with you about, but yeah, thank you so much. All right, let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for this time to talk about bridge building, to talk about ways that we can reach out and, and learn more about each other and, and know how to pray for reconciliation and, and know how to ask you to reveal areas in our own lives that we need to really examine and, and repent of, to confess and repent of, so that we can move forward in just reaching out in the love of Jesus to everyone around us. Thank you for Darina's books, just for this inspiration to teach children about diversity. And we just ask God that you would just anoint her and just send her out to um, continue to write. We pray for vision, for focus, that you would just um, just cut out all the noise, that, that she would hear your voice clearly and move forward with intention and purpose, and that you would open doors for her all over to get the word out um, to many different people. We lift up Strong Tower Bible Church. We just pray that you would bless them, allow them to just continue to do the hard work, to engage in the hard conversations, give them um, strength and and endurance to go to go through the hard times that I'm sure there are. God, give them grace and and wisdom, just supernatural wisdom to guide this congregation. We pray for her husband Chris as he leads them, and um, just that you would bless their marriage, their home, their children, and just that you would just pour out blessing over every aspect of her life. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show. And we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.